Well, good morning, Grace Church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad to see all of you here on campus today. Those joining us on Facebook and uh, Facebook Live and live stream, we're so glad you've chosen to be a part of our service today. Uh, turn to somebody sitting by you. Let them know how glad you are to see them today. Give them a great big Holy Ghost smile. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Did you come to have a great time in the presence of God today? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So glad to see all of you today. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. Of course, Tuesday morning is prayer right here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. We want you to be a part of that as your schedule allows. And, you know, we've been announcing this for a long time, but it is finally about to happen. This coming Saturday is family night outside and the chili cook-off. It's coming. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Thank you. <laughs> um, bring your lawn chairs. Bring your drinks. Everything else will be provided. Four to seven. Mark your calendars for four o'clock all the way to seven o'clock next Saturday. Have a great time. And then um, chili cook-off judges. If you were selected to be a chili cook-off judge, Sister Sheila needs to visit with you in classroom two immediately following the um, altar service today. So uh, judges make a note of that. And then finally, on Sunday, November the 6th, we have a very special presentation for our veterans at in the 11 o'clock service. So you're going to want to mark a calendar, be a part of that. We want to appreciate you uh, in that service if you are a veteran. I'm so happy tonight, today, to see my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law, uh, Jeannie and John, with us in service today. So glad y'all are here. Both have uh, had some, uh, some health issues that they've had to battle through. We've prayed for them. Uh, you have prayed for them. And both have seen God do some tremendous things in their body, physical healing. And I just so, I'm so glad they're here today to rejoice with us and to praise God with us. On that note, why don't we stand and let's just thank God for his goodness, for his mercy. He is a prayer answering God. He's a healing God. And it can happen here today. Clap your hands to Jesus and let's enter into his presence today.
Take what the enemy 
the Lord in this place. No matter what he said, whatever he spoke, he can surely bring it to pass. He can surely bring it to pass. started blowing through this building just a few minutes ago somebody has already said God I don't see evidence of it yet but you said it so I believe it and it was a proclamation of faith on your part somebody's already there in their spirit let's go ahead and join our spirits with theirs God we don't know and we can't see and we don't have the evidence of it yet but we know the type of God you are and we know the type of love that you have for us so we can just go ahead and settle it in our spirits too. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, praise team. On point, as always. And thank you, Grace Church, for your worship. Your response already, the Spirit of the Lord is here. Amen. As you return to your seat, just look at a neighbor. Give them a really big smile. And tell them, I am so glad you got to see me today. God bless you today, Grace Church. You can be seated. I'll have you stand again in a few moments as we read our text. But it's wonderful to be with you here today. And as always, I will, I will tell you that I consider it a high honor to be able to stand in this pulpit and preach to people that know me but still love me, that have known me, and will still listen to words that come out of my mouth. So I, I do love you today. My friend Dale Kirkendall and my other friend Liz Kirkendall, it's wonderful to see you here today. You are my brother and my sister, and I love you. Amen. Our message today will reach hard for a particular group of people. I'm looking for some people that have some experience with God. You've been some places with Him, and you've seen some things. And you're still here. Man, you're, you're grinding it out in some cases, but... There are just some things that you don't understand, and you've got some questions. God, why did that happen? God, why did it have to happen the way it did? Okay, God, it happened, but what's next? Now what? And you know the kind of God He is, 
you love him, you trust him, but you've been through some dark and heavy stuff lately, and you're just tired. Do you know who God is? You just, uh, you're not real sure who you are in this moment. Some of you have been feeling cut off, used up, dried out, lifeless. And if that's you, I want you to know that I have a word for you today that will challenge you. But I also hope it will bring you a great deal of comfort. In March of 2018, I preached a message here at Grace Church that I called Nighttime Changes. I took the text from Exodus chapter 14 with Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea and how they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground at nighttime. And it was about the miracle of transition and positioning that God often chooses to complete during the nighttime of our lives. Then in August of 2021, I preached a sequel to that message. Nighttime Changes Part 2, it's already been done. And I told you all my snipe hunting story and about how everything just seems worse at night. And we took a text from Mark 16 with three women coming to the tomb of Jesus in the early pre-dawn hours while it was still dark, expecting a dead Jesus and expecting a sealed tomb. They weren't expecting a miracle, but even during the worst nighttime of their lives, the miracle that they needed had already been done. So Nighttime Changes Part 1 was about the miracle of transition and positioning that God works during the nighttime of our lives. Nighttime Changes Part 2 was about the miracle of provision and resurrection that you didn't expect that God works during the nighttime. Well, today, Grace Church, we're going to try this message one more time. Stand with me. We're going to read a text from number 17. We'll pray, and then we'll get started. Number 17, verses 1 through 8, says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes and write the name of each man on his staff. And on the staff of Levi, Moses, make sure you write Aaron's name for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place those staffs in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law where I meet with you. And the staff belonging to the man I choose will what? It's going to do what? It's going to sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. And Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. Verse 8. The next day. When was it? When was it? Can, can I get a star student? I need a star student. Anybody? Anybody willing to be my star student? 
Come on, Owen. You're the only one raise your hand. You're a brave child. Owen, if it says the next day, then whatever change had to have happened when? Well, it would have, it would have had to happen during the nighttime. Very good. Star student gets an A. Would have had to have happened. Would have had to have happened. Would have had to have happened in the nighttime. Moses entered the tent the next day. Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tri tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. I want to preach to you today, Nighttime Changes Part 3. There's more than you think. Let's pray. Lord, you've set the stage so beautifully once again. There's been an upswell of faith here at Grace Church this morning. It's exactly what people need to connect with you. Lord, I pray that your voice would be heard above every other voice today. That instead of hearing the voice of a man, that they would somehow in the middle of this message hear your voice and what you're saying to them about where they are, and about what you're doing in their nighttime. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Numbers chapter 16, which is uh, the previous chapter to our text today, details one of the darkest times the Hebrews had experienced since leaving Egypt. There were three men. Korah was one. He was actually a cousin to Moses and Aaron, and two other men named Dathan and Abiram from the tribe of Reuben had led 250 other leaders in the community in an insurrection against Moses and Aaron. These men questioned the legitimacy of Moses and Aaron's leadership. In particular, they challenged the establishment of the tribe of Levi as priests and Aaron as the head priest or the high priest. They didn't like that. As if Aaron and Moses had put themselves in that position and not God. And that insurrection did not go well for Korah, Dathan, and Abiram or their followers. It, it's a, y'all, it is a crazy story. Y'all know that sometimes there's just some, some weird stuff in the Bible. Do y'all, like, am I the only one? Numbers chapter 16 says that the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them and their households and everyone associated with Korah along with their possessions and they went down alive into the realm of the dead and everything they owned and the earth closed up over them. And at their cries, the Israelites around them started fleeing and shouting they were crying out that the earth's going to swallow us up too. And then fire came down from God and consumed the 250 men that were aligned with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there and I saw that happen, I would probably be a little bit more careful about what comes out of my mouth. But do y'all know that some people never learn? Because the scripture says, 
the next day, what was already a bad situation was about to get worse. The next day, number 16, verse 41 says, The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed, you have killed the Lord's people. So as a result, another 14,700 people died as the result of a plague. And the only reason that more people didn't die is because Aaron ran with a censer through the, throughout the whole congregation and made an atonement offering for them. That's some serious stuff. That is some dark and difficult stuff. So that's the backstory. For our text in number 17 this morning, I say it all the time, context matters. All of us came in this morning with a context. Every single person here in Grace Church today came in with a backstory. Some of you have been in some dark places lately, and you have been in some difficult places lately. By the time our text in number 17 picks up, Moses and Aaron had experienced a time of stress, death, grief, turmoil, abuse, upheaval, disappointment. There were family problems. There were social issues. There had been natural disasters. And there had been plagues. Come on, somebody. They had been falsely accused. Their motives had been misunderstood. And in the middle of all of that, They're not just trying to take care of themselves and their families, but they're also trying to take care of this two to three million Hebrews and all of their mess. And, and, still trying to be the leaders that God called them to do at the same time. You know what, Moses and Aaron were in their mid-80s by this point in the narrative. They were probably just tired Tired of the drama? Tired of the pressure? I wonder if, if, if Moses and Aaron ever looked at each other and said, man, what, what is even going on right now? Like, what is, what is even happening? Are we even in the will of God anymore? Because, you know, whenever you experience difficulty and conflict and problems, that means that you're out of the will of God. So God says, you know what, Moses... I I see, I see, I see what you and Aaron are going through, and and I'm about to help you boys out. I'm I'm a little tired of the drama myself, Moses, so I'm going to put an end to all of this grumbling once and for all. So Moses, I want you to get a staff from each of the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to make sure that you get Aaron's staff to represent the tribe of Levi, and I want you to write the name, Moses, I want you to write the name of each tribal leader on his respective staff. Then, Moses, don't miss this part, I want you to place all 12 of those rods in the tabernacle right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. You know that place where you and I meet, that place where my glory dwells between the cherubim on top of the mercy seat? I want you to put all 12 of the staffs right there, Moses, in front of the Ark, And the staff that belongs to the man that I'm going to choose is going to sprout. And you know what Moses did? Moses did exactly what God told him to do. He got all 12 of those staffs, one for each leader. 
of each tribe, and he, he wrote their names on the respective staffs, and he, he put them behind the veil, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. He put them behind the veil, right in front of the ark. And then Moses went to his tent. He put on his Moses pajamas. He got in his bed, and he tried to go to sleep because it was nighttime. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 17, our text today, verses 7 and 8, says Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant Law. The next day, Moses entered the tent. The next day. So whatever change was going to happen, whatever God was going to do, and however God was going to do it, it was going to happen at night behind the veil where nobody, not even Moses nor Aaron, could see it happen. Now, y'all stay with me here, class. The, the fact that it was going to be Aaron's staff that would sprout should not have been an issue for Moses, Aaron, or anybody else. Shouldn't have been a big stretch of the imagination because God had already done some pretty miraculous things with Aaron's staff already. In Exodus 7... Whenever Moses and Aaron first enter Pharaoh's court to tell him, Hey, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh replied, Why should I listen to you? Some washed up has-been that's been living in the wilderness and stinks of sheep. And this other guy that's, that's been a slave. Why should I listen to you? It was Aaron's staff that turned into a snake. And when Pharaoh called his sorcerers in and told them to replicate the same miracle, and it did by their demonic power, then it was Aaron's snake staff thing that ate the snake staff things of the sorcerers. It, was, it wasn't Moses' staff, it was Aaron's staff that did that. And then you get to Exodus chapter 7 and 8, where the plagues start to come against the nation of Egypt. The first three of the ten plagues that God brought against Egypt, the plague of water into blood, the plague of frogs, the plague of gnats, it was Aaron's staff that was used to bring them about, not Moses. You see, we often mistake these miracles in Egypt and the totality of the leadership of the nation of Israel in those early years with Moses alone. But I challenge you, you go back and look and read through the books of Exodus and Numbers in particular. And look for all of the times, even in your King James, where it says Moses and Aaron. Aaron and his staff, they were right there in the mix. Used by God in, in, in ways that were every bit as powerful and every bit as meaningful as Moses. Now in those days, the staff was symbolic of the man and his office. It represented the man's position and his authority. The staff wasn't just any old stick. It didn't have any power in and of itself. There was no supernatural power in that stick. But it was often a conduit for the power and purpose of God that was unique to that man and his position. So Aaron's rod, Aaron's staff, was a symbol of the testimony of what God had done through him. It was a symbol and testimony of who he was in God and what God had anointed him to be. And for Aaron, in particular, that meant being a priest, a conduit of ministry between God and man. 
And Moses places that symbol, that representation of Aaron before the ark, along with 11 others, and then left them there overnight. I don't know what that night was like for Aaron. Maybe he slept like a baby. Maybe Aaron had the best rest of his life that night. Considering the context and what they had been going through over the last several weeks and days leading up to this, I kind of doubt it. If Aaron was halfway human, and if he got any sleep at all, it was probably restless sleep. Y'all ever had a night like that? Have y'all ever had a night like that? Where you've been going through something and there's been a lot of turmoil and there's been a lot of drama and you know in your heart of hearts, you know that God is going to show up, but you just don't see how. And, and not only is it a rough night, but it's also a nighttime season in your life, too. So it, it's hard for you to see clearly, and it's hard for you to know how to navigate and how to, how to proceed forward. And what's the next step? Because it's nighttime, and I, I really, can't, really can't see. And you should be resting, but your brain won't turn off. And you just lay there all night listening to the refrigerator click and hum. And every other little click that's in the house. And you should be resting. Even when everything is quiet, you just can't, can't go to sleep. Because it's just you and your thoughts. It's not in scripture, I can't say for sure. But maybe... Maybe Aaron had a night like that. Maybe he had a rough night. But then, like it always does, morning came. And the next day revealed the miracle that God had worked during the nighttime. Just like God had said would happen, Aaron's rod had sprouted, but that wasn't all, because Aaron's rod had not just sprouted, but budded, and not just budded, but blossomed, and not just blossomed, but made almonds, and not just made almonds, but ripe almonds. See, in the King James Version, it says that his rod had yielded almonds. The NIV says that it had produced almonds, but multiple translations Include the word ripe or ripened almonds. So that caught my attention. I started digging. My Hebrew scholar self went straight to Google. So we started, we started researching. You know what? The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word, it's okay, I laugh at myself too. The Hebrew word yielded or produced is gomal. Gomal. And it means to ripen or to bear ripe. I'm taking a little bit of time with the language lesson today because I want somebody here to see the extent of the nighttime change and the completeness of the miracle. God does not deal in half measures. He will complete his work. Somebody needs to hear it today. Aaron's staff went from a piece of cut off, used, 
dead wood. Not to say it didn't have its usefulness because it did. Not to say that it didn't have its significance because it did. But to any rational person, that rod's capacity for growth and production were over. Now, it might be useful for other things. Other work, other tasks may have been possible. Previous experience said so. But life? Fruit? No. Sorry. Not anymore. That season was over. But here it was, in the morning, not just shoots, not just small hints of new life, not just a little sprig of green that was just barely coming forth, but a full-blown, completed process of growth. The smallest of sprouts to the ripest of fruit all at one time on this familiar, detached, old dead stick and God did it in the dark he did it during the night time and not just at night but under the cover of a tent and not just under the cover of a tent but behind a veil you can't get much more secluded than this I want to drive on this point just a little bit in the dark of your nighttime, without any light Aaron's rod didn't just sprout. It didn't just show some cute, tiny, insignificant sign of life that was easy to brush off. Oh, no. It grew. It produced. It flourished. It brought forth fruit that was ready to be consumed and offered offered nourishment and give life. One commentator said it this way. Here were not only almonds for the present, but buds and blossoms promising more hereafter. Not just a now blessing, not just a today blessing, but a promise and a miracle of more to come in the future. I want somebody here to hear me today. There's more than you think. There's more than you expect. There's more even than what God said he would do. That's just the kind of God He is, able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I don't know what God's promised you, but I know the kind of God He is, and He will complete His work, and He will do more than you're expecting. There's more than you think. I want you all to think. There's a key point here. I, I, don't, I don't want y'all to miss this. Don't think that you can't produce because it's nighttime. Don't think that God can't work something good out of your nighttime. Don't think that the dark is going to keep God's purpose from being accomplished in your life. Nighttime has not kept my God from accomplishing a single thing He wanted to do yet. As a matter of fact, He excels at working in the nighttime. He's really good at doing stuff during the nighttime. 
When God got involved, Aaron's rod produced almonds. It bore, it bore the fruit of its designed nature. It wasn't an apple stick. It wasn't a, a, a staff made from a plum tree. Aaron's staff came from an almond tree. It produced the fruit of its design nature even in the dark. I came to tell somebody when God enters into the equation, nighttime will not keep you from bearing the fruit of who you are and who he made you to be. It will come out. It will be evident. It will happen. And when it does... When it does, it will be more than you think, more than you thought possible. No matter if you are walking in the bright of day or if it is the darkest night of your life to date, you can experience growth, you can have life, you can produce fruit even in the nighttime. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Stop using your nighttime experience as an excuse. That dark, heavy stuff that you've been going through does not mean that you have to remain lifeless or fruitless. Don't think. Do not think that you can't produce worthy anointed spiritual fruit just because it's a nighttime season and you can't see as well as you'd like to. Often, what we harvest during the open light of day is the product of what, sp what spent half of its time growing in the darkness of nighttime anyway. I'm going to say that again. Often, what we harvest in the broad light of day those daytime seasons in our life, those mountaintop experiences when everything's going well and I can see and navigate and I know what, what the next step is to take. Often what we harvest in those seasons is what spent half of its time growing during the night. We need a botany lesson from the man who is a certified plant killer. We need a botany lesson. So I am standing on the shoulders of giants. Whenever I give you this next bit. But there is a common myth that plants only grow in sunlight. When in fact some plants grow faster at night than they do during the day. You got to understand how a plant grows. And if you want to understand that, you need to understand two processes. The process of photosynthesis and the process of respiration. They're two separate processes, but both are necessary for plant growth. Now, most of us that paid attention in biology class, we learned that plants use photosynthesis to absorb sunlight and carbon dioxide, and they convert it into glucose. Glucose is a source of energy for plants, same as it is for humans. Since photosynthesis cannot occur without sunlight, that means that plants only process, during the, process and make glucose during the daytime. Photosynthesis, energy. Daytime also means that there is no photosynthesis at night. Can't produce energy at night. But there's another process to plant growth. Y'all all right? Hang with me. Science class is almost over. There's another process to plant growth. It's called respiration. 
Respiration is the process whereby plants consume their self-made glucose for energy. The energy is what the plant uses to grow and is done primarily at primarily at night. Yeah, y'all know, even I know, and I've killed a lot of plants, even I know that you, you want a plant to grow, you place it near the window for more sunlight. And plants tend to grow toward the light. During the day, whenever plants are absorbing sunlight, their growth is more horizontal. Oh, my goodness. Is more horizontal in the direction of the sunlight because it's all around them. But during the nighttime, whenever plants are not photosynthesizing but respirating, they tend to grow more vertically because there is no sunlight to guide them. Now, here's the point to the science lesson. Y'all ready? Some growth only happens at night. That's about what I expected. I don't want to grow at night. I want to grow in the daytime. I want to grow whenever it's easy to see. I want to grow whenever I, whenever I can just navigate the world around me with the... I don't want to grow at night. But y'all listen to me. Some growth only happens during the nighttime. So let me ask you, Grace Church. Is it possible? Is it possible that your nighttime is necessary for God to bring out the potential that He knows is stored up inside of you? Now, y'all ready for a good part? Somebody's like, yes, please get to the good part. I'm going to give you the goodest part I've got. In some places on Aaron's staff, there were sprouts. In other places, there were buds. In others, there were blossoms. And still in others, there, were ripe, there was ripened fruit all at the same time. God did it that way to remove any suspicion of a fraud. So to keep anybody from saying, no, Moses, Aaron, you snuck out there in the middle of the night. You found an almond tree and you cut off a limb from any old almond tree and you put that there in, in Aaron's staff's plate. No, that's not what happened. Because no ordinary branch would have sprouts, buds, blossoms, and ripened fruit on it all at the same time. See, in that part of the world... The almond tree is the first tree to bloom in the spring. And it takes 10 weeks to go from a full bloom, from a full blossom to ripen fruit. So it would take much longer for it to go from a sprout to almonds ready to eat. You know what that means? That means that this was an out-of-season miracle. Y'all ever felt out a season? Come on, somebody. Like the environment and the, the climate and the timing were somehow limiting any chance you had at life or growth? Have you ever felt out a season? Man, I have. Now, look, I get it. I get it. We need to be able to discern the season of life we are in. Places and priorities should change. That's healthy. That's wise. But you trying to bring in a harvest out of season is only going to lead to frustration. But don't tell me. 
that God will not disrupt the natural order of things whenever he wants to. Because this story of Aaron's staff is proof is proof that God can do an out-of-season miracle, one that is greater than even He promised, even during our secluded nighttime experiences. So whatever that situation of your season has been telling you, I want you to know God can bring life. However dark the nighttime has been that you've been walking through, God can work a miracle. However secluded you feel, however cut off you feel, there's more than you think, nighttime or not, out of season or not, God can do more than what He said, more than what you expect. There's more than you think waiting. There's more than you think waiting whenever God starts working a nighttime change. Nighttime couldn't stop it. The season couldn't stop it. I got five minutes. Can y'all handle one more? Nighttime couldn't stop it. The season couldn't stop it. Somebody listen to me today. And Aaron's mistakes couldn't stop it either. That's right. Mistakes. We're talking about Aaron here. We're, we're talking about the first high priest of Israel. We're talking about the blood brother to Moses. Uh-huh, that guy. That's right. And he had his share of scandals too. This guy, Aaron, made an idol in the form of a golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. During Moses, Moses gets called up to the top of Mount Sinai to talk to God. Oh, that's great for you, Moses. I'm left down here with these rebellious Hebrews. You've been gone for 40 days, having the most spiritual experience of your life or anybody else's. And here I am down here with these people. And he crafted an idol out of gold that they had stolen from or taken with them from Egypt in order to appease these anxious Israelites. And it leads to all of, this, all of this debauchery and all of this sin. And it's a pretty big mess up. It's a pretty big mistake. In Exodus 32 and 35, it says, And the Lord, watch this, the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron made. I got another one. In Numbers chapter 12, Aaron and his older sister Miriam speak out against their brother Moses. Moses had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Sound familiar? They asked, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And the Bible says that Miriam was affected with leprosy for a time. That's two pretty serious mistakes. That's two bad marks against your leadership. That's mistakes, man. That's that's, that's big ones. Marks against his character. And here's the real kicker. And I still haven't brained this out, but in both of those situations, Aaron's mistakes resulted in consequences for other people. 
I don't understand the theology of that. I, I don't understand the, the inner workings of the mind of God on those deals at all. And that's not what this message is about. However, let's just note that Aaron messed up really bad on at least two occasions. So he had at least one point of regret and pain in his life. And he knew guilt. And he knew about shame. And he knew that those things were his fault. Aaron had some pages in his story that were pretty ugly. But that did not change the fact that God did still more with him. His past mistakes did not disqualify him from a miraculous nighttime out of season change. It exceeded expectations in spite of his mistakes. It exceeded expectations in spite of the hurt that he had caused to other people. It exceeded expectations. Even though he bore the shame and the guilt of doing something horrible, it did not disqualify him from the miracle of a nighttime change. Y'all stand with me. I'm done. I'm done. I don't know who you are today. I don't know your context. I don't know your backstory. I just know you've been going through some stuff. It was no accident that the miracle of life, the miracle of growth, of producing fruit, it's no accident that that miracle happened behind the veil, close to the Ark of the Covenant. That was as close as you could get to God at the time. You couldn't get any closer. You weren't just at the gate. You weren't just in the courtyard. And you weren't just at the holy place. But you were behind that thick veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies right there in front of the place where God's glory showed up. That's how close Aaron's staff was when that miracle happened. It's not an accident. You know how I know? Because Jesus reminded us of the same thing in John chapter 15, he's talking to his disciples, prepping them for what's coming. And he tells them, remain in me. As I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I, in case you missed it, I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will, you will, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay with me just for a moment longer. In verse 7, he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Not just a little sign of life, not just a little green shoot, but bear much fruit. It was before the ark, before the presence of God, as close as you could possibly get at the time that the nighttime change in Aaron's staff took place. Yes, it was nighttime. No denying it. Yes, it was covered by the, the thick layers of the tent of meeting. So it was secluded. It's behind the veil. And you're right. Nobody could see what was happening. Nobody in the congregation could tell. Not even Moses, the leader that he was, he couldn't see it. Not even Aaron, the one the staff belonged to, he couldn't see it either. And you know what? It just wasn't the right season. There were mistakes in the mix. But as close to God as possible, during the nighttime, is when the change happened. And Jesus reminded his disciples and reminds all of us today, you've got to stay close to me. You've got to get attached to me and stay attached to me. You've got to abide in me. And I can do more than you think, even during this nighttime that you're walking. No, oh, I want somebody to be sensitive to the Lord right now. His Spirit's moving in this place. He's talking to some people. You came in carrying a heavy load. You came in today not knowing what comes next. Mind clouded, tired, exhausted carrying the guilt and the shame of your own mistakes, but still hoping in the word that you know God spoke to you. He sent me here today just to tell you there's more than you think. Get close to me. Get close to me. Come on, Grace Church, let's pray. Let's pray. God's talking to people and he's dealing with hearts. It wasn't an accident. God had this day written on his calendar. He knew you would be here, and he knew what you'd be carrying whenever you walked in the door. It's not an accident. Yeah, this word is for you. He's planned it. He's had it organized. He wanted you to hear this word today to give you hope, to give you a challenge. Get close to me. Get as close to me as you can. Abide in me. Let me abide in you. That's the only way. It's the only way that this fruit is ever going to come out of you the way that you're designed to. Oh, come on, somebody. Help me pray today. Help me pray.
restoration.
the strength that 